There were 12 men who were trying to get across the lake at night. They were veterans of the water. They made their living on that lake. They fished it nearly every night. But on this particular night, as they were trying to get across the lake, a storm blew up with winds that were of cyclonic force. I mean, they were so strong that they were literally picking up water like walls and hurling them at that little boat, swamping it. And those men thought that night that they were going to die. Have you ever been in a storm in your life where you thought you were going to die? Where you thought it was never going to end? Where it just swamped your life? I'm not talking necessarily about wind and waves and rail and he, uh, hail and here in the mid, uh, uh, Midwest snowstorms. I'm talking about other kinds of storms that we experience in our life that can be just as vivid, just as painful, and just as real. For instance, in the Gospel of Mark, where we're going to be spending a couple of weeks, we run into some people who are experiencing some really terrible storms in their lives, and you may be able to identify with them. If you want to open up the Gospel of Mark, you can if you're using the Chair Bible. I know it's a different version, but it's pretty close. You can turn to page 707. The first storm that we see in a person's life appears in verse 21. It says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into convulsion, and then came out of him. If you read through the Gospels, the New Testament, you'll find that it was rather commonplace that people suffered from being possessed by, inhabited by demons. In fact, in the ancient world, that was very prominent. And the reason why is because they were so open to uh, the spirits, right? They were so open to the realm of the unseen world that many of them became possessed by those very spirits. In fact, archaeologists who have unearthed ancient cemeteries find skulls still in place And in those skulls, in the cranium, they'll find little holes that have been surgically created. Bone has been removed, not for any kind of operation, but so that the demon could get out of that person in their mindset and they could finally have peace of mind. Of course, it didn't work because that's not what it takes. Say, Pastor, you really think people were possessed by evil spirits? Absolutely. Are you sure it wasn't like psychosis, neurosis, some psychological, psychiatric disorder? No. I know they had those things back then, but the Bible makes it very clear. No, really, they were possessed. They were hooked into the dark world, the evil realm. They say, well, do you think that exists today? Yeah, it does, especially in third world countries where people are so open to that. Do you think it exists in our country? Not so much, but I predict you're going to see more and more of it because we are leaving the rational age and our Our culture is very open to the spirit world. 
But I'm not here to talk about those kinds of demons. I want to talk about different kinds of demons that all of us at one point or another wrestle with in our lives. I'm talking about the demons, our emotions. I'm talking about those feelings of guilt and shame, of insecurity. I'm talking about those feelings of hurt that come when our relationships are fractured. You know, sometimes those things haunt our lives, don't they? And sometimes they consume our lives like a demon and we find ourselves in a storm of emotions. Does that describe you today? Is that the storm you find yourself in right now and you wonder if it'll ever be calm again? There's another kind of storm that we run into in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to turn over to verse 40, listen to what it says. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Leprosy in the ancient world is what we might consider AIDS today. It was a dreaded, awful disease. It ate your body, literally, until it left you a rotting corpse. And it was always so slow. If you had leprosy, you would be ostracized from everything in the culture and everyone. If you were married, you would now be divorced. If you were a child, you had to be separated from your family. And you lived your life either alone or in a colony of other lepers. There could be no touch. There could be no hug. There could be no kiss there. It was a horrible life to live. These people were in a physical kind of storm. Well, thank God leprosy today is very isolated. But you know, some people struggle with chronic illness, chronic disease. Some people struggle with terminal illness, terminal disease, and they are embroiled in a physical storm. And it can be so consuming, so debilitating. We can feel so isolated because of it, so alone. Maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe you're in a physical storm right now. Something's going on in your body, and it's just, it's just consuming you. It's another kind of storm in the passage, a very different kind of storm that's mentioned to us. If you turn over to chapter 2, verse 13, we read about a guy named Levi who did not invent genes. And it says in verse 13, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of, his kind, of this kind among Jesus' followers. I say amen to that. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You know, something must have been going on in Levi. We know him as Matthew's life. 
to cause him to leave his job as a tax collector because as a tax collector, he was very successful and very secure. He collected the money, patted on a few more percent points on it and kept the profit for himself. All week long, he would collect the taxes and on the weekend, he would party with others who were like him. Now, he was envied by some, hated by most, but he had it made. So why would he leave that and take the risk by following this young Galilean? I think Levi had a storm of emptiness in his life. Like so many people do today. You know, you can be successful. You can have money. You can have prosperity. You can have looks. You can have talent. You can have it all and still on the inside feel empty. You climb the corporate ladder, you get to the next level, you open the door, you, the fun wears off, the newness wears off, you conquer that mountain, and you feel like you're in a treadmill, just going, 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 going. And when we're able to slow ourselves long enough to really think, we suddenly feel very lonely, very empty inside. Does that describe you? Does that describe you? Of course, there were other storms back then, too. Some people were in a financial storm. It was hard back then. People lived hand to mouth, kind of like... What we experience now in this economy, some of you are in a financial storm. Some people were in a political storm, most of them, in fact, because Rome was the occupying force and Rome was hard on the people. They raised their taxes, they took their homes. Some of the families had to sell their children into slavery in order to survive. It was ugly. But perhaps to these people, the most horrendous storm of all, the mother of all storms, was the religious storm that they lived in. And it was perpetuated by the right-wingers of those days, the Pharisees, who stood in front of the people and said, you know what, you are all too ignorant to understand who God is, so we are going to represent God to you, dial into us We will tell you how to live in a way that will please and honor God. And evidently, they did not think that the Bible, the Old Testament, the law was clear enough, that what God had given was clear enough. So they took it and they decided that they needed to interpret it more and explain it. And as a result, they came up with hundreds and hundreds of rules, regulations, rituals, and traditions. And like a bag of rocks, they took that and placed it on the people's shoulders and said, there, that's what you have to do to qualify for God. And it was impossible for the common person to carry that bag on their shoulder with all the other storms going on in their lives. And they made God seem so far away. And they made God seem so distant and so unapproachable. They made God seem like a very, very angry old man with deep furrows between his brows who was happier to see somebody burn in the flames of hell than to stand in the gates of heaven. You know, sometimes we get in storms like that. I think about the church in America today, and I feel like sometimes, you know, we exclude people more than we invite people to come to know Christ because we have our preferences and our rituals and our traditions and the way we've always done things, and we demand that people conform to the way we do church first before we ask them to experience who Christ is. Maybe you find yourself in a religious storm. Maybe you're turned off today to the church. Maybe it was a miracle you got here today. 
You're in a religious storm. God seems far away, very distant to you because of how he's been presented to you or because of what you've experienced in your life. You know, when you're in a storm, you just want somebody to calm the boat down. And that's when love came to town. Always God's perfect timing. Now, before love arrived, he sent a messenger named John to get everybody ready and the way John got people ready is he showed up and he said, I want you to repent of your sins. Let's get ourselves cleaned out. Let's get detoxed from our sin so that God can do a new work in us because a new day is coming. And he took the people into the Jordan River and he baptized them. He, he put them in the water and then he plunged them in and took them back out again to kind of symbolize the washing away of their sins. But they were still incomplete. Something more needed to happen. Something, someone had to fill that vacuum now. They needed a power to live above and beyond the storm. And so he spoke these words in Mark chapter 1, verse 7. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water. Finish it with me. But with the Holy Spirit. In other words, something's going to happen inside of you when he shows up that's going to be supernatural. And then finally Jesus came to town. Love came to town. But you know what? If all you did was observe you would have found him very disappointing. Because love was not attractive. Love looked just like everybody else. In fact, he had a name like so many people had back then. Yeshua, Joshua. There was no parade. There was no band. There was no welcome committee. CNN wasn't there. CBN wasn't there. Fox News wasn't there. Nobody was there. And to just look at him, you would wonder to yourself, and so what is this guy with a very ordinary name who looks like the rest of us, who comes from a no-name town named Nazareth, how on earth is he going to calm any storms in our lives? And then he opened his mouth and he spoke. And when he spoke, power just poured out of him like a river. Like these words that he spoke. Mark chapter 1 says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent your sins and believe the good news. Good news, God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is near. The storm clouds are going to part. It's a new day. Things are about to change. This week was fun, wasn't it, watching the temperature go up? People start to have different feelings and attitudes. Yesterday I was driving to church last night, and I was going down one of the streets, and there are two dads and two boys. The two boys are walking ahead of them. They've just been to 7-Eleven. The boys have nothing else but a t-shirt on and shorts. And they're carrying their ices with them. And I thought, that is crazy. It is not that warm yet. 
But it's that whole idea, something, you know, it's new, right? Oh, it's, it's fresh. And that's what, she, that's what love says. A new day is coming. A spring is here. It's all about the change. People are so excited. Look at the response to him. The people were amazed at his teaching, and he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. So what was this power that was coming out of him? Very simple, one word, truth. It was the power of truth. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like no one else had ever spoken truth before. He really didn't say anything that others had not said in the Old Testament. The prophets had said it. It's just that when he stood and spoke it, it was coming out of him as the very source and origin of all truth. And there was something primal inside each one of them that when they heard him speak, it echoed all the way back to the book of Genesis. And something inside of them said, oh, 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 the creator is speaking. I somehow know this voice. He spoke us into being and now he's in the flesh speaking to us now. And I'm telling you, you can still hear that voice. All you have to do is open the gospels up, read the words of Jesus and I assure you, if you read those words, you will be moved by the fact that what you're reading is the truth. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Doesn't mean you have to like it. Doesn't mean you have to follow him. But there's one thing you can't deny, that when he speaks, it's truth. It's truth. Not everybody wants to hear the truth. In fact, you can tell when something's really truth because People will get pretty upset about it. When you know something's not the truth, you ignore it, you argue with it, you leave it alone. But when it's the truth and it contradicts what you believe, oh my goodness, it really can upset you to the point that you want to kill the truth. And that's what they did. But it was the truth. And his truth is so powerful that that when he spoke it, the demons fled because Satan is a liar. He can't deal with the truth. The truth is so powerful that disease dissolved. The truth is so powerful that, that the dead, that, that death gave up the dead to life again. It was so powerful that when he spoke it, people who had emptiness and purposelessness in their lives suddenly felt like there was a reason to live and a purpose worth living for. In another place in the gospel, love said this. In John chapter 8, verse 32, say it with me. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That was true then, and it's true now. And then in John 14, 6, he said this. Let's read it together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there stood love saying, what I'm saying to you is truth. If you listen to it, it'll set you free. I am the truth. If you'll take me in and live by me, you will have supernatural liberation take place in your life. Remember earlier when love said the kingdom of God is near repent of your sins? That word repent means change your thinking. 
Stop thinking about that which is false, that which is untrue. What he's saying is think about truth. Think about me. And it will change your hearts and your lives. You know, I think about our students here that are sitting in this section and those of you who are scattered throughout. You know, you guys face so many lies in our culture. You face it everywhere you turn. It's presented to you as the truth, but it's so full of lies. And when we chase after what the world calls truth, it always leads us to a dead end. Remember our path series? It's the direction we take that determines our destination. So when I start chasing a lie, it's going to take me to bad places, right? I need to know the truth and I need to embrace the truth. And the truth is a person. And the truth is what he has said. I am the way, the truth, he said. But listen carefully to me. Listen to the statement. Let me read it for you. Love did not ultimately come to town to eliminate the storms that surround people's lives. But to cure the storm within people's souls. Love came to town not to get rid of the storms around us. Oh, he did in the, in the cases of some people like we've read here. But he came to deal with a more important storm. And that is he came to eliminate the storm that's within our souls. I'll show you what I mean with a story. Back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, Now, what do you expect him to say? Rise up and walk, right? But what does he say? He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And they were absolutely right. Only God can forgive sin. Who was standing in front of them? Jesus knew immediately that they were th- what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Well, it's much easier to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Only God can forgive sins. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I love this. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Isn't that a great story? See, that's the, that's the power of love. That's the power of truth. Jesus came to get rid of this barrier between us and the Father called sin, our sin, which condemns us, which separates us. He came to step between the two. 
and take our sin on himself. That's why Jesus was baptized. He was baptized for sin, our sin, that he's about to take on himself and pay for the price on the cross so he could take my hand and his father's hand and join the two together so we could be reconciled, so I could be forgiven. But listen, not just forgiven, but so I could be infused, infused with eternal life. Infused with the power and the presence of his spirit. Do you feel infused this morning? I mean, think about it this weekend. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, wiped away, now and forever. You are declared not guilty, now and forever. And you are invited into a relationship with Abba. You're going to spend all eternity with God. And if that wasn't enough, within you is his supernatural presence. Not in the temple, not in the synagogue, not in the church building, but in you. You are his building. You are his place of inhabitants. But do you feel it? Do you live with that presence? Do you live with that power in your life? I mean, the truth is, a lot of us don't. A lot of us struggle with that. I struggle with it. The truth is, when people who don't follow Jesus or who don't go to church or aren't much interested in church, the truth is, they look at our lives and they know we go to church, they know we talk about our religion a lot, And they know that we try to live morally well. But honestly, beyond that, they do not see anything supernatural about us. There's no sense that God is alive in us. They just figure we're into religion. I want people to feel God in me. To know God in me. Actually, I want to feel and know God in me. Why is it we struggle so much with that? One last story to answer that question it's the story I started out with this morning in John in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Here's what it says. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher! I mean, they're shouting because the wind and the waves, right? Teacher! Don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly, the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. Now listen carefully. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. They still don't get it. What was the problem? The same problem you and I have, that I have. They were so focused on their circumstances, 
They forgot who was in the boat with them. They're so focused on the circumstances, they failed to realize that they needed to be focused on the presence of Christ. How about you this morning? Where is your focus? Is it on the storm that's raging around your life, whatever that storm may be? Or is it on the presence of Jesus in your life? He's not going to let you drown. say, well, I feel like he's sleeping in my life right now. Then that means he's at perfect peace. Why aren't you? If he's sleeping in the storm, you ought to sleep in the storm. So, well, I hear what you're saying. That's really easy for you to say. You're not in my storm. How do I get there? You got to tap into that presence in your life. How do I do that? That's next weekend. (laughs) It's called faith. And that's what we're going to talk about next weekend. Because I hear Jesus asking me, Dale, I hear him asking me those very same questions that he asked them. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And that's what we're going to talk about next weekend. We're going to talk about what it means to have faith that allows me to tap into his supernatural presence in my life so that I experience him. Do you realize that, think about this for a minute. Do you realize this morning that you have as much of God in your life as you will when you're in heaven? Do you know that? I think a lot of us think, you know, when I get to heaven, when I cross the great divide, I'll have more of God. No, no. You've got all of God here and now. Oh, in heaven, it'll be more fully realized. I understand all those things. But you have the presence of God here and now. So you don't want to miss this series. As we unpack how that is experienced in our being before we get to heaven. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, this morning, it is so easy for me to get my focus on my circumstances and not on you and become troubled and overwhelmed by what's happening externally. I want to thank you this week for the joy of being reminded that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world than any other circumstance. Father, I thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself You've joined our hands with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And his bridging death on that cross. I thank you that we are forgiven forever. I thank you that we have the hope of eternal life. I thank you that we're going to be with you someday and fully realize love. Father, even now, that reality is within us who are your followers. And we so, so want to tap into your presence, your power, your love. If your head's bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning. You've never received love into your lives. Wouldn't it be awesome this morning to accept Christ? All you have to do is say this prayer and mean it from your heart. If you're ready to do that this morning, just raise your hand where you are. I'm not embarrassed. Your heads are bowed, please. 
And then just pray this prayer with me right where you are. Just pray it silently. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I admit I'm a sinner. I have nothing to brag about. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me my sins. Please come into my heart. Dwell in me. I receive you right now. Oh Lord, for everyone who prayed that prayer right now, infuse them with your spirit. Empower them, Lord, and raise them up and strengthen them and encourage their hearts. God, thank you for being a God who loves us, who cares for us. Thank you for being the joy of our lives and our strength. Bless us in this series and take us deeper with you. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Praise his name.